everyone, and welcome back to This is Asp and Answered with Megan Bird and Eric Martin. We're here today, so fortunate to have Dr. Robin Veely, Professor of Sports Psychology at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Dr. Veely, thank you so much for joining us today. If we could start um, with you just giving us kind of your 30-second elevator pitch bio about where you are now. Yeah, I'm a professor at Miami University, as Megan said. So um, it's a wonderful job because I get to do teaching, research, and service. And so I love the eclectic nature of that. I am a certified mental performance consultant. And as that, I mentor students. And we have a great, wonderful uh, graduate program. Um, we have the Miami Mental Performance Group, where we do consulting with um, athletics, music department, ROTC. So I really love that involvement with students in consulting. So it's been a great place. I've been here a long time, as you too well know. <laughs> great. Thanks, Robin. So in our podcast, as Megan said, Aspen Answered, we hope to better understand how the key figures in our field got to where they are today. And we would definitely consider you one of our key figures in the field. Would you give us a little bit of a background on your pathway to where you are today? You said you've been in Miami a while, but could you give us kind of the, the pathway of how you got here? Absolutely. Um, I, growing up, I always was so interested in the athletes that maybe weren't the best athletes but that were the mentally toughest, uh, tenacious. So I've always been enamored by what I think of as the achieving mentality. I just, you know, and I didn't know about sports psychology growing up. And so I was a college basketball player and I coached. And it was those experiences that led me to ask all the questions. And I really, at the time I did my master's, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be the next Pat Summit, actually. And, but when I was coaching, I had all of these questions about, you know, like I would say things like, Megan, come on, you need to focus. And she'd be like, yeah, on, on what? Or how do I do that? Or Eric, you need to relax. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, I didn't know. And I would try to do imagery and I would try to do a lot of things with my team. So I got more and more interested in that. And then I started researching. I thought, oh, they have a field about this. So then I went into sports psychology. And very luckily, um, I went to the University of Illinois and it was 1980. And what's important about that is, um, and I'm really glad you're interviewing me for all kinds of reasons, but I always like to think that I had my professional adolescence at the time that sports psychology was having its adolescence. And I was so, so very lucky because I was in grad school from 1980 to 84. Now, I want you all to understand when I went to Illinois, there weren't any textbooks in sports psychology. There was Reiner Martin's little thin social psychology of sport. Um, there were maybe, I tried to find books. I maybe found two uh, that were like edited books. The Journal of Sports Psychology only began in 1979. So it was just so exciting to be in this, doing this field and asking these questions, but there wasn't a lot of things kind of going on there now. So what's interesting is that Reiner at the time, who was a you know well-known researcher, was shifting his emphasis to the applied aspects of uh, you know those kind of questions. And coming from a coaching background, well, I think that's how I got into grad school actually. Um, he was interested in me because I was interested in the applied. But you know when we presented, like we presented at the Olympic Scientific Congress in 1984 on the applied type of work we were doing with the U.S. ski team, and there were people in the room that were not happy. And there were people that really disagreed and, and questioned us. And someone even suggested that this was um, 
besmirching, you know, the science of sports psychology. So it was a very interesting time. So I was really into the applied type of things, but it was something that I think our field um, maybe was not. So, and then, you know, ASP began in what, 1985, first conference in 86. So that was right when I had finished. I'd just come to Miami. So they were kind of growing up as I was kind of growing up as a professional in sports psychology. So it was just really, really exciting. Wow. That is exciting. I also think it's important to note, because we just celebrated the anniversary of Title IX, that you're also a Hall of Fame basketball player. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm very proud of that. Marshall University. I didn't wear my ring today. Darn. But thank you. Yes. We are. I'm going to lose my West Virginia Mountaineer card for saying that, but I'm okay. <laughs> That's okay. We love the Mounties, too. Exactly. Uh, so, and speaking about ask kind of starting when you were getting right out of grad school and then starting your first position at Miami. Um, we want to get a snapshot to what the field looked like prior to your presidential service, um, which you've described a little bit about, but could you describe maybe a bit more about the field itself and ask prior to you running for president? Yes, of course there was a, well, I was going to say a strong research academic foundation. I mean, it was really developing at that time, but I would still say that was our forte. Because as you probably know, sports psychology, particularly from the kinesiology side, kind of grew out of motor learning. And so back to when, again, remember when I went to grad school, it was 1980, Reiner wrote his Smocks and Jocks article in 1979, which was the first to say, hey, we need to get out and do you know field research and do more applied type of things. And so um, that's really kind of how the field was. And I remember... Oh, so well, again, my adolescence, I remember in Gulfport, Mississippi at the NASPA conference in, I think that was 85, probably June, maybe 84. And um, John Silva had brought forward this uh, to the business meeting, a vote would whether NASPA would take on the applied aspects of the field. And the membership voted no, but they were ready. I think they, they knew Ron Smith and Bob White and those guys. And um, that's when ASPA kind of grew out of uh, ASP grew out of that. So that was a really important moment. And I've often thought about it. You know, NASPA is a research society, you know, great organization, but they didn't want to do the applied type of work. But interestingly, when you say describe the field, because early on, ASP was criticized and a lot of people called it the almost applied association of sports psychology. I don't know if you ever heard that because uh, everybody got really excited. And then I, I think what happened, honestly, is a lot of key figures, a lot of people in kinesiology that I knew, but also people from psych, but more in kinesiology came in and it was being run like a research society. Um, I mean, we had these applied interests, but I don't think we really knew how to do that. I mean, the ASP of 1986, it was very different from the ASP of today, which I mean, which is normal and good, but, but that's really kind of how I saw it. So it was exciting in its promise. I think we were all really excited about that. Um, but it wasn't quite getting there. And then one other thing about this adolescence this is back to the significant moments that formed my experience historically. Um, so I can't remember the year. Uh, I think I came on the e-board. I think it was 1987, but I ran for secretary treasurer of ASP and I ran against Dorothy Harris. Okay. Dorothy Harris was somebody I wrote papers about as an undergrad. She was this icon in the field. 
But, you know, she was a strong woman and she spoke her mind and I'm running against her and I didn't expect to win. And I won. And I think I won and it got on the e-board. But I think I won because, well, it's a lot of people didn't like Dorothy that because she had these strong ideas. She should have been on the e-board, not me, you know. And honestly, I've always felt a little weird about that. I mean, election's election. That's kind of how. And she was very gracious. And she was like, oh, thank heavens. I don't have to be secretary treasurer. But I, I was on the e-board relatively early. I mean, for me. And, you know, Ron Smith was the first president that, you know, uh, I was with. And then Bob Weinberg and Dan Gould. And 1989 in Seattle, we debated and voted in the CC ASP standards, which was just an amazing meeting. Oh, wow. And so I just, I feel like I witnessed all that. You know, I feel like I was just kind of in this time traveler and I got to witness all of that. And I was on the board and inside all those conversations, it was just really amazing. So we were doing things, but, you know, the almost applied sort of was a little bit accurate because there were people that were maybe afraid to do that too fast. Again, oh, it's going to make us seem less scientific or we're going to lose credibility um, with the public or even in academe. So that's kind of how I saw things before I ran for president, which was 1998. Robin, I, I have a question before, Bert, if you don't mind. Um, it's interesting to me to hear so much about Reiner and kind of how he influenced this this generation that went in, but I don't know much about him and his perspective on ASP. Was he involved in the creation of ASP or what? how did he perceive ASP as in general? No, so he was phasing out, you know, Reiner then um, uh, uh, developed the Human Kinetics, the publisher. And so he was sort of moving towards that towards the end of my doctoral work at Illinois. Um, and I was one of his last students there. And so he became more involved with human kinetics and was not involved in ASP because the timing wasn't there. But had he continued as a professor and as a professional in our field, I'm sure he would have been involved because, again, you know, I got to Illinois in 1980. He and David Burton were, you know, working on materials, all of this applied stuff. They were having to pull literature. We were pulling all the stuff like Mike and Baum's stress inoculation, all because there wasn't anything in the sport literature. It was all coming from psych, clinical psych, counseling psych. And we immediately were working with athletes, teams and athletes. Again, I got the incredible opportunity to work with the U.S. ski team, U.S. field hockey because of Reiner. So he was very applied. And, you know, he wrote the 79 articles, Mox and Jocks. He also wrote the 87 article, uh, something like science and sports psychology, and was also arguing for the same thing to become, I think, more practical, more applied. Um, so I think that was his influence, but it wasn't as a leader in ASP. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah. That is interesting. My, my question, which I will touch on this again later, but something that you mentioned about um, kind of the conversations around, are we going to be science enough? Do you feel like that was happening within ASP or more? It was still people who weren't sure about joining because they were concerned, or I guess, where do you feel like that debate was really stemming from? Yeah, well, I think it was going on as a whole in the field when and it really was Reiner and Damon. And then I kind of came in, you know, uh, not that other people, I mean, um, you know, there were people in psychology doing consulting. We found that out kind of later as people started writing books and things. Oh, this was going on at the same time. And we didn't know that Bruce Ogilvy's work, some of those folks. Um, but 
it was stunning to me. And luckily I was under Reiner Martin's wing and it couldn't hurt me too much, but that people were so critical in NASPA of this presentation that we did. Um, I mean, you know, with the ski team and the, the program that we had developed for them. And so, I, and I think, but you know, we're professionals and as an academician, you learn when you go to a conference and you present, I've always taught my students, you know, it's not personal, you know, it's the in a, same way with all the battles. And I've been in a lot of battles and, you know, and ask, it's not personal. You know, we can argue and argue about what we think the field should be. And then we can go have a beer afterwards as it should be. And so I think in the field, but then I think ASP kind of brought it to a head because of the applied in there. And, and Megan, I think in the beginning, everybody went to ASP and all the people that I would consider more primary researchers. And then I think some of those folks have left and maybe that's fine, you know, because of what ASP is, is becoming now. And, um, but I think everybody kind of gave that a chance and there was a strong research component, um, particularly early on and maybe not enough of the applied. We just didn't know how to do the applied. I mean, we knew how to do it with athletes. We didn't know how to do it for the organization. Sounds like just a lot of growing pains with a, a new organization. Adolescence. Yeah. Maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were on the e-board with uh, the secretary treasurer pretty early on, but what specifically motivated you to run for president, Robin? Yeah, probably a little bit of ego, right? Just to be <laughs> honest. Um, but, um, you know, I really love the field, have a passion, and then you get in a leadership position and you're able to move the needle a little bit. And so those two things combined, I mean, I was so excited and I was so excited when I got it. And I remember so much the past president's luncheon, my first year in, and, and the way it works is you go in and the president-elect comes in and kind of talks about their ideas. And I remember I was talking and Penny McCullough just started burst out laughing. And I go, Penny, what? And she goes, you're just so excited, you know? And I'm like, yes, I am. But, but here's the thing. Um, I, well, but then my president-elect year, I really struggled because the way the structure was set up in ASP was there was the executive board. There were three presidents and the president elect, you were in charge of the committees. Well, all the work in ASP really, I mean, not, but, but a lot of the work in terms of getting things out there was supposed to, was set up in committees. And I can remember being in Cape Cod at Hyannis at that conference and running around like crazy. And there was no accountability. No one on the e-board was in charge of professional standards or sort of, or, and so it just wasn't efficient. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that was a little bit frustrating at first. So then I'll kind of tell you in a minute what I did to try to remedy that. Not that I had the great solution, but I just, this was Robin's idea. So I will try this. So. Yeah. So then as president, Robin, what were you hoping to accomplish? So it sounds like maybe a little bit more organization within there. Yeah other were your kind of big major strategic things that you wanted to accomplish yeah thanks eric for that segue because i was kind of hinting i needed that segue question <laughs> right so well um you know a subtitle of my presidential address was let's take sports psychology for a spin and if you ask some some folks that have been around a while what do you remember about robin's presidential address they will all say i guarantee i remember she showed pictures of old cars and i showed pictures of cars because my analogy was ASP at the time was like a very comfortable family sedan. 
it was solid, four doors, you know, it was great. You want to get there safely, conservatively, you can do it. We needed to be a muscle car or the floor, you know, right? I mean, and so I was putting up the cars that were kind of my vision for ASP. So I thought that we, and then John Silva always kidded me because one of my lines, my dad used to say, hey, let's go take a drive and blow the stink off. And so I use that in our presidential address. Like I thought we needed to blow the stink off. Well, that didn't go over with some people, but John really, really liked it. So, so I wanted to build, so my address was about building up on our, I think our research success and foundation but let's get this thing set up to move a little bit. I thought we needed a new vehicle to maybe do that, which was the metaphor with the cars, which some people didn't get. And again, because it wasn't working with the current structure in the committee. So I think and one thing to remember, I had ideas, but as you all know, when you work in a group, it takes a village and, you know, so, but I thought and thought, and I looked at the executive board, and you may not remember this. I'm not sure you two were born yet, but okay. Um, at the time, the executive board had like the president's um, secretary, treasurer, et cetera. And then it had the three um, focus areas. So there was a performance enhancement person, a health psychology, and social psychology. So they basically did things for the conference. I remember my first year asking, could you write some position papers? Could but they didn't really buy into that because everything was around the conference and papers and research. And so I remember I went to the Banff meeting, um, our spring board meeting with this idea to change the structure of the e-board and people, they, they liked it, but you know, we had, but we had to change some things. But so basically what we formed was these four divisions um, science and education. I wanted to call it the research division, but that didn't make it through the e-board. So science education. I don't know what's the, what, what the areas are now. And I don't know, but publication information, professional standards, and then professional development um, in terms of getting things out there. And so um, we were really excited about it. And then like, yeah, I had to look back at my old notes. So standards would be ethics, certification, graduate training, Diversity publications, of course, will be JASP, the newsletter, um, the grad directory, professional development, organizational outreach. So we had it all kind of figured out. This is, I won't spend a lot of time on this story, but the 1999 business meeting that I ran in Banff was a bloodbath because I had asked the e board, does anybody here know Robert's rules? Oh, Jim Whalen said, sure. Well, he didn't. We got it. <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, it was only the second time in my life at asked business meeting I've been skewered. What's well, the first time it happened again? But um, anyway, it didn't pass. And, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, you have to have things in place, you know, and I've learned a long time administrator here at Miami. You know, you've got to do the work and the process. And it was a little new. and We were going to we were changing the Constitution. Oh, my goodness. So it didn't pass. But people came and talked to me. They were for it. They just needed it better what information provided to them and rationale. So then we went to Nashville the next year and it passed flying colors. So I felt really, really good about that. But, but back to, to Eric, your question there. So that was the big thing because that needed to be done. So the association could do the work to get sports psychology out there. The e-board was not set up in my opinion to do that. And I, I believe that has been important. A couple other things during my presidency, but they weren't my ideas. That's when the special interest group started. That was Carol Ogilvie's idea coming out of executive board. And then the graduate program fair, that was Natalie Durant's Bush idea because she was a student rep. 
we she didn't have that idea but she was like we need to get people together so we came up with that idea of the grad program fair so all of that you know really kind of came together and then i would add one thing before i became president or when i was elected i had all these other presidents talk to me about well there's a lot of rabble rousers and all these students are going to come up to you students like tracy statler right? This leader, whatever, and David Conroy, Steve Pertinga, and they were students that wanted to get sports psychology out there. And they were, they were very respectful. And I met with them and they had great ideas. And I just think there was a little bit of, we want to keep ask the same, I thought too much like NASPA. And I think the students recognize that. And it was an important lesson for me that don't be afraid to listen to people, even if your opinion differs from them. Sorry, that was so long, but I... No, that's great. Robin, how do you... So at that point, you're a mid-career faculty member and putting up this great idea that a lot of those are still around today, those divisions, and then it it just does not go well. How do you, how do you cope with that? How do you process that? How do you go through that kind of experience? Yeah, well, I you persist. And, you know, um, uh, you know change is not easy for a lot of people. And... Again, I take a lot of responsibility for the Banff business meeting because I didn't set it up right. You know, I was still pretty green, and I learned as department chair. I learned watching Jack Watson uh, lead us through the certification and um, persisted and persisted and, pers- you know, past president's council, fellows meeting, I mean, on and on and on. And I think you just keep working, and you, if you really believe in it, like, you know, I, I, I just felt so deeply this was so important that ASP could not realize what it was meant to be if we didn't change the way the work got done because it we couldn't get it out there. I'm just going to get some ad hoc committee and you're in charge of letting the NCA know. No, it doesn't work like that. So I think you just have to, and I think you have to listen and I think you have to kind of meet people where they are and explain. Um, so it just took a little time. And so when you say you learn from it, that's just basically getting people on the same page before that meeting, getting the key stakeholders. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Explaining, calling people up back in the day. Yes. Getting people on board. Absolutely. What would you say then? So these were kind of your motivations for running. So now reflecting back, what do you feel like your main accomplishments were? Well, I think that, I think the restructuring of the e-board, I think, um, and, and I think the, my commitment um, to, um, well, um, the, the applied side, but it's funny, now I'm still, I, you know, I, I want ASP to be a one-stop shopping. We could be the best in terms of research and the best in terms of practice, but I find the world is so dualistic. And um, I feel like we swung, and no, we haven't swung too far that way because I think AF's main purpose is to do professional practice and, and get that out there. Um, but but I, I think for me, that's always been my uh, emphasis to be applied for. And then I, I was I got it was a great super honor for me to do a Coleman Griffith lecture, and in there I I um, I talked about sports psychology field of dreams. You know, and meaning, is it still a dream or have we reached it? And I like to think about it's a house and even ASP can be the the house. And I feel like everybody wants to go to the ASP conference. They want ASP to be what they do. 
The researchers want it to be about that. In fact, well, why can't it be for all of us? And so you've got the front porch and we put our, you know, our really big time consultants and our maybe best research, whatever. But then there's all these rooms and there's room for everybody. So I, I, I have a really hard time with the doulas. So I really try and I still try to kind of say that's all important. At the time, I think the structural change was the most important thing. Um, but I've continued to try to be a voice for including everybody. Hey. Okay. This is my favorite part. Eric and I have talked about this so much about what you're going to say, oh. because I feel like we could fill in so many. All right. We're going to take a story break. Oh. So we would love for you to tell us a fun story about your time in the field. Anything goes Whatever you want to share that brings a smile to your face and bonus points if it involves some other ASP members. Yeah, I read that. Um, yeah, there's so much fun that has gone, you know, in the development of the field. There's many stories that I couldn't even tell you on tape here. Um, but this isn't so much funny, but I, I needed to tell this story because it, it's just near and dear to my heart. So I think it's more fun than funny. So uh, I'll tell you my funny stories other time. Um I want to recognize Carol Oglesby. So when I went on the e-board as president, Carol was elected as the health psychology chair at the same time. And it ended up, we were roommates at all the e-board meetings fall and spring for three years. I still call her the great president whisperer because Carol is remarkable at um, knowing how process works and I'm a little impatient. And so, you know, I come in and I, I have all these big ideas. And so I'm rooming with Carol and I'm telling her all this and she's like, well, have you thought about though, if you say this, they're going to like Eric, almost your question that they're not going to go for that. Or, or cause like on the board then, I remember we had Andy Myers and Jim Whalen. Here's where I'm gonna get my points from you, Megan, Trent Petrie, Bob Brewstead, Cindy Pemberton and Carol. Nat was the student rep there for a while and there were some strong personalities on there and and there was a strong psych component there too you know and so there was it, it was very different and so carol when when people say what did you accomplish your presidency it's like whatever carol always be helped me to do because she and, and then i would we'd come you know we'd come back and lunch we go to lunch we go back to the room before our afternoon meetings and we'd go over things and or we'd be sitting in the e-board, you know, around the big table and we're in like some question will be asked and Carol would catch my eye. You know, it, it. and so I have always told her how much I appreciate that because um, I just want to say Carol Oglesby ran for president for ASP twice and didn't get it. And I know that was really hard for her as a, a big, big leader in our field. And um, but she was the person that made all the difference on that e-board during my presidency and her vision. It was the SIGs, you know, that was her idea and she was all for advocacy and she just helped. She was the glue, right. And, and the, the whisperer that really made it all work because when we disagreed and she would kind of help me see how I had to do that. So I don't know. It's not really a funny story, but it's, it's, it's a very fun thing that I can't really tell people, but I wanted that story to be known because she is such a dedicated professional and she, I wish she could have been president. She was like co-president with me, really. I love. Wow. That's a great story. I think, I mean, it's really, I think a testament to you too. 
I feel like you've just always been such a gracious person and you don't take a lot of like eye ownership over accomplishments. And so it doesn't surprise me that that's the story that you yeah. chose. I love hearing these because like hearing these stories about who you speak about is very similar to when, you know, some of our colleagues or my peers speak about you all, because it's so fun seeing that there's different levels of this leadership. And I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of this project so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Robin, you walked us through your presidency. And so we want to kind of think of kind of big picture now. So in what ways do you feel like the field has evolved from, you know, you've seen it at the birth to now? And then what are your thoughts kind of good and bad about that evolution? Maybe growing pains, different things that have happened over the course of, of ASP's existence. Yeah. I just think it's really exciting. You know, I mean, I, I, I was on the ASP website this morning for something. And I get in there to do something and then I just start scrolling on, you know, different things. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And so I think the growth of the profession has just been amazing. And um, I think the nationally accredited CMPC program, you know, I think that was a big step towards credibility and standardization. As you know, we, we really need that. Um, I know I was just meeting this morning with the um, she's the counseling psychologist that works at athletics and we work together and do, you know, work with the teams and, and athletes. And um, we were just talking about this, this, there's still a need that there's still people. She was telling me that, you know, I need to, it's funny. I've worked at Miami for a long time, consulted with a lot of teams and athletes. When a coach calls me, I'm like, okay, I'll be over. Well, now if a coach calls me, I have to call somebody else or send an email and get, you know, which is good, right? That's a good thing because it's in, but it didn't used to kind of be that way. And I was explaining that um, to her. So, but she said the reason the athletic department went to that is because a lot of people without credentials started shopping, you know, snake oil and all of that. So that's why now they have to kind of check. So I think that is just, I think ASP is successfully pursuing and accomplishing the mission that I felt we were missing at the, at the beginning. Um, and I think the leadership is just amazing. They're stunning in terms of their ideas and, and where we're going with things. Um, so I'm really happy about that. I, I, the con would be, or the concern for me is again, as I said earlier, this dualism, I think between practice and research and, you know, that would be a big, maybe symposium or panel discussion to have because maybe that's just how things work. I mean, the same thing happened with APA people in psychology talk about it all the time. Um, but, and maybe I notice it more at the conference and um, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, like, yeah, we still do research, but um, I don't know. I, I feel like at the conference, we're trying to draw people and I love hearing athletes and coaches speak. I'd like to hear a big time scientist, you know, and I think that would be good for everybody. Just like it's good for everybody to hear Karch Karai, who was amazing when he spoke two, three years ago. I can't remember. I still have the notes that I, I talk about in class. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm a little concerned about that. And, and I don't know if that's possible because, again, how much can ASP really do all that, you know, well? Um, I think we can, um, but um, there's that. The other thing that I think is interesting about our field. So we become applied. And so um, 
you know, the R1 institutions in kinesiology um, are losing the sport component. And so uh, because they're going to more physical activity, exercise psychology, which is great. That includes um, us. But um, I don't know what that means for the future of people training that way. And so I think in the future, people are, might be gonna, are going to be trained differently. I don't know what the future is for sports psychology in the kinesiology area which is what we all came out of. And um, I've heard other people kind of, of say that. I mean, people that are training master's level students now, Georgia Southern, Miami, Ball State, you know, you know, Eric, you, you have a master's program? Okay. We do. So I just think it's going to be smaller, more specialized. Maybe that's okay. You know, I, I'm just not sure. But, um, you know, I just miss having there's so many programs that have the doctorates and, and then you have these options for students. And I, I see that as a big change. Robin, it's interesting you mentioned the dualism because that's that's been a, something that we've heard about, you know, since we started in ASP. And I wondered, has it has it gotten more split because of the mass amounts of research now it seems like like i remember dan gould saying something the effect of like we in grad school we just read all the papers because that's all there was right we just read them all and now it's we're focusing on so specific because there's so much literature that you almost have to specialize to a certain extent in the research base do you think that dualistic aspect has gotten worse has gotten better or just is still that constant well, that's a good point, Eric. You know, it, it is a good point that um, the knowledge base um, has exploded so much. And, you know, I noticed it as a university professor. Um, and, and a friend of mine gave me a number, I can't remember, but how fast today the information changes as compared to, say, 20 years ago, even. And just to keep up as a professor, you know, it's just an amazing thing. So, you know, so in a way, that's a positive side, Eric, I think you're talking about where our knowledge base is increasing, increasing, and you can't do everything. Um, and when I bring this up, like in a president's, past president's council, people are like, well, we'll always have the research. I'm like, okay, you know, I would agree. And maybe that's, maybe ASP is doing exactly what they need to do. Once in a while, I, I just... I don't know. I, I just, again, I, I, I want to see a little, I want to make sure that we invite in some big name researchers, even in our own field, you know, and they, then they do a colloquium or they do something or they're a speaker or that's still seen as viable. I know that doesn't get the students as excited, but, but yet it's, you all know this, you go to those and you're like, okay. And then you learn something, right. Or you're touched in ways. So, but it could be Eric. And maybe that's a, a, a nice problem. Maybe is what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. No, just something that, that is interesting. I don't know. I don't know if there's a right answer. I would agree though, because especially um, if we're talking in the conference, I think they could have some opportunities for more of that heavy duty science person coming in. Right. For sure. So we want to shift your lens to being more Oracle now. So what does the field or where do you think ASP and the field are going? You mentioned a little bit about training programs that may be modifying, but what do you see in the next, you know, five, 10, 20, a hundred years of sports psych? It is just so amazing to see, you know, um, applied sport, you know, in, you know, professional sport in the Olympic, all of this, you know, and I just run into it all the time, you know, in 1980, again, I'll date myself when I got, when I started with doctoral program, 
uh, and we were doing this work and applied stuff. And I remember one day meeting and Reiner said, in 10 years, in 10 years, every athletic department will have a sport psych consultant. He probably said sports psychologist. That's before we you know, learned all about that. And so we really believe that. So that would have been 1990, you know, and then of course it didn't. And, and now you see, and, and, and I think, you know, I, I really love the emphasis on performance psychology. And it's something this past year we got really immersed. I'm really strongly connected to a music professor here who wants to be a sports psychologist, actually. He and I go to coffee all the time. He took my graduate class in the spring. And so we work with, you know, we want all the instrumental musicians. We work with choral music. And I learned so much. And so I think this was maybe hard, but sports psychology, you know, broadening into performance psychology. And then, you know, again, working with ROTC, they love what we do. You know, they, they I mean, it's, it's so important to them. And um, this is not an oracle because everybody is talking about this. Meeting this morning with our, our staff, athletic psychologists, you know, mental health has become so important. And I think I want to write a paper about that this summer. So, I mean, there may be more papers out there, but I have been trained, you know, to be so ethical. And when we think about mental health, we think, okay, I don't do that. And so then we got a call. We have our Miami mental performance group. It's the grad students and some faculty. And we go out and, you know, work with people. And they, this athletic foundation contacted us. They wanted us to do some presentations on mental health. And Matt Moore, my colleague here last year, he was like, ethically, I'm not sure, but we couched it as a preventative thing. And I think we've sold ourselves short. I think those of us, you know, trained in sports, I'm a, you know, sports psychology consultant. I'm not a psychologist. And this is, and Catherine agree with me this morning because they're getting ready to do a lot of preventative stuff here at Miami in athletics. I'm going to be involved with that because you look at our work in like perfectionism and even how athletes think and their, their um, irrational goals. Or, I mean, that's all related to mental health. So I, I think that's really been an artificial thing. I'm not going to be doing treatment, obviously, but I think that's going to kind of come together a little more and where we still work on performance. But as Catherine said this morning, I mean, mental health affects performance and performance affects mental health. And Again, not that I treat, but a lot of prevention. And you all know, I know when working with athletes, when you're working with them on performance, you know that's that's they leave the office feeling better and they've got some ideas about maybe what to do in a tennis match, but it also is helping them in other ways. So I think those are going to not merge, but I think we're going to coexist in a more symbiotic way might be the way to say that. I love it. I hope so. I hope too. I'm- the word that just like comes coming to my head as I'm hearing you speak is just education. The difference between educating people about mental health versus treating people about mental exactly. health. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Well, and I like the the timeline of it too, the continuum of the preventative versus the treatment, right? Of well, we can do the preventative, you know, teaching skills, stress management, some of those aspects, which I, I really like that perspective on it. Yep. Great. Speaking of students then. Um, what advice do you have for students and new professionals who are just joining us here in sports? Oh, I love to give advice. So, (laughs) okay. So, um, think outside the box, you know, don't draw the line, stay in the line, you know, across the line. I mean, of course, do it in a rational, well thought through way. 
Um, but um, I, I just think like, what's, what do we need and how can we do this better? And, um, you know, and then do your homework and, you know, and bring people along and help people understand. I've been reading a lot lately. I didn't mean to, but some of the psych today stuff coming about, um, I think because of all what's going on nationally and politically, but how to talk to people about things and, you know, again, dualist, you know, it's dualism. And, and I, and I was thinking about that in my field about how to talk to people to get them to kind of come along. So I've always preferred the leap over the creep approach, but sometimes you have to creep, but, but think outside the box. Um, really important thing is to know your why I am, you know, if you know, Simon Sinek, I'm really big on that. Like, um, why are you doing this? And um, athletes come in and they want to work with Olympic teams. Why? Because they have five ring fever and they want to wear USA on their chest. And you know how much work that is? I mean, once I talked to Gloria Balagay and, and, and Ken Revisa and some of my colleagues who were going to Olympic Games, oh my goodness, they were working like, you know, 16 hour days and things. So, um, you know, what's our why it's about helping people making a significant contribution. Um, and you know, with the certification council, um, I was on the inaugural council and what an amazing experience that was. That's the toughest leadership position I've ever been. in. that includes being a parent, which is quite a statement. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but you know what? I followed my why there. And, um, again, I, 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 as I've grown, I've gotten thicker skin, but people can disagree, but, you know, and Bob Harmison is, you know, was so great to talk to about this stuff. Nick Galley, all these people, we talk about this constantly. Like, I believed in the certification. Our job as a council was to take care of the certification, you know, and to, and if people were uncomfortable with that, like there were people that didn't really like losing the CC ASP thing. Okay. I believe that for our field, we needed a credential, a title that people could use. And, but people would say, well, Robin, you're being disloyal to ASP. No, no. My why is I'm going to want the field to move forward. And that's just uncomfortable. But it, I think if you know your why, then that helps you kind of stick by your guns and kind of believe what you're, you're doing. And then my, my third thing is, and you've both been at Miami, you know, somebody has to do the grunt work. Okay. I still do. I'm happy to, you know, I'll collect data, I'll clean data, I'll, I'll do whatever. Um, we work in ASP and we work in the, even this stuff that you're, you know, it's a, it's, it's a service commitment and they can't be, well, I'm too good to do this. And even today, people don't want to review journal articles. They don't want to review conference abstracts. And um, I remember when Dan Gould, who was president of ASP, drove the van from the airport in Savannah. Okay. Because that's what you do. When you were on the e-board back then, you didn't have all this this company. We didn't have a company that ran the conference. We kind of did that. And it was such a labor of love and still is. And so I think I just I really think it's important to do that and for people to think, well, no, I've arrived here. I don't need to do that anymore. And I think our field's better when all of us do that work. I'm having so many flashbacks of <laughs> sitting in your classes and just like, it's so reminiscent. And if I could go back in time and retake your class again, I would, I would do that in a second. And I'm remembering um, one thing that I share with our students all the time. That was advice from you was 
if you have an idea that you think is crazy, just try it anyway. Um, and so like the classroom really becomes a place where it's okay to try a crazy idea and do it anyway. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, and so that's one thing that I always try. And then the other thing is that I tell them uh, that I say, Robin Veely told me this, um, is when they're learning is to like, you don't have to be like everyone else. And so I remember you would always say like, I'm not training 30 Robin Veely's, I'm training 30 people. Yeah. Um, but it, it's hard not to like, obviously want to be like you and, and do things the way that you do. But that was just such like, it was like monumental for me then. And I share it with my students now. Yeah. I'm sure Eric has tons too. Yeah, I do. I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to go unscripted here, Robin, on you. So I'm going to be selfish a little bit because I always, I value your advice. And so that was advice for students and new professionals. And obviously anyone can take that advice, but for that mid-career professional, which I realized shockingly a few days ago that I am now a mid-career professional. What what kind of advice would you give, you know, myself and then maybe even Megan in a year or two, right? So what kind of advice would you give that mid-career professional going into the field? Yeah, I, I think it would still be follow your why. But to me, as I think back, I think it's a time when you distill a little bit. Maybe, you know, you, you're, you know, you're a tenure and you pass that and then how can I really make a contribution? Like, what is it I want to do? Because also you're going to get spread so thin. You probably already are. And so I think it's being careful about saying yes to everything, even though I just told you to do the grunt work, but make sure you do a little bit of that. Um, but then to still down, because I had this thought today, all the things I'm doing and am I doing some important things? Because I, I know each of you pretty well, you know, and I can think of what you can contribute. And sometimes we get, not lost, but a little bit off the path, I think, uh, distilling down to what we should really be doing. So what's really going to make a difference? You know, if I don't Zoom three times or make this meeting, but if I really work on this article, I want to write about mental health and mental performance. Okay, that would be a really good contribution to the field. So that's just a thought. I like it. I like it. Hard question. Robin, big picture. What do you hope your impact on the field will be? Oh, that's an easy one. It'd be you guys. I mean, my why is very, very clear. Um, I mean, I really love what I do. I love to write. You know, I love to be in the classroom, but mentoring students. See, I'm going to get all misty here. Oh, mentoring students and seeing you all go on and lead the field. It's just heady. I mean, I, I am so, so proud of all of the students who have come through here uh, have gone on and who are leading the field now. And um, that it would definitely be what I hope would be my legacy. You made it's me cry. Oh my gosh. Oh man, man. You really got me. Ooh. It's yeah. interesting. I mean, there's that old saying that you'll kind of sometimes forget what people say, but you'll never forget how they make you feel. And I remember leaving your office where I came in pretty dejected, something wasn't going right and leaving like I could just go and climb Mount Everest. And I want my students to leave my office feeling that same way because you always put such a, a, a point of making sure that we are hopeful and optimistic and ready to tackle whatever challenge we'd come in with. And I think that's one thing that I will always remember about your mentoring style is how you made us feel at the end of one of our, our conversations. Well, thank you. And that's probably because you were coming from Bob Weinberg's office. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but Question. it's possible. There were some of those. Yes, there were maybe some links there. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
when we did Bob's interview, he was quizzing me. And I was like, come on, Dr. Weinberg, I haven't been in your class in a minute. I don't remember. It's <laughs> good. What haven't we asked you or talked about that you think is important to share either about the field or ask or really anything? I think we've covered it. I mean, to me, I would just say, um, I, I just wish everybody could um, connect their, what, their career, their life goals to something that gives them as much pleasure and passion as I have. I mean, it's such an honor and a privilege. And I feel so lucky because, you know, I thought that was going to be coaching. And, I, and so it's interesting because I still do coaching psychology and I work with coaches and I love talking to coaches. But to but for me, um, to, to fall in love with something and then have a whole career. And, you know, that's why I can't retire. Right. Although I'm sure I can still work in the field if I retire. But I I really don't want to do that. So I'm just I feel really lucky about that. Well, we feel really lucky to get to do this interview with you and be part of your advising family tree. I know I wouldn't be in the field if it wasn't for you. I didn't even know what sports psych was. And I drove to Miami and after meeting you, I was like, I'm doing it. I can't imagine doing anything else. And then, and then here we are. So thank you again so much, Dr. Bealy. We appreciate you, you know, sharing your story and bringing all of your energy and um, the field would not look like it does if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. I think the one thing I think of with you, Robin, is just intellectual humility. I think you're one of the giants in the field and you would never say that. And so we just thank you for everything you did. And so on behalf of the the podcast team, we've asked, Dr. Beely has answered, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.